Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Josh Peck, and this is my podcast. That's right. This one is mine. How's your week been, everyone? Mine has been... Mine has been good. Pretty, 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 just sort of humming at a good pace. You know what I mean? Sort of living right in the middle, which is always my goal. Trying to get trying to get better at meditation, which has sort of been a challenge for me on and off for the last 10 plus years. I don't know if anyone ever gets meditation right away. And if they do, I, I would be wary of that person. I just... I mean, I think, look, the whole idea is is that there's something going on in your mind that is not at peace. And you've got some loud crowd in there that's constantly keeping you nervous about what's to come or, or resenting the past. And so you see this shining beacon of meditation and all these quote-unquote happy people doing it that seem content, that seem unencumbered. And you say that, that... Maybe there's something there. Maybe I'll try that. And then you buy the books and the pillow and the and maybe the 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 Ohm CD with the with the chants and the meditation mixtape, you know, like jock jams but spiritual and and you really you plan on starting, but you know, life gets in the way. Neuroses gets in the way. All those things that I'm nervous about, it just, I would rather go and think about those things than perhaps, perhaps try this new thing that, that might just make it all better. And that's where I've been for the last couple of years. But as of recently, I've I've become a bi-weekly meditator. I don't mean to brag. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make you guys feel less than because you're all wonderful in your own ways, but uh, I'm a bit of a spiritual beacon right now, okay? Um, I'm seeing the entire world from a healthy perspective, and you all might want to look to me for guidance and counsel. I'm just saying, no, I, yeah, I've started, I've been putting in about 12 minutes a day in the morning with a little meditation. I've got a, I've got a bit of a nook in my house, in my apartment, I've got this little corner that looks out out of this this window. I'm looking at it right now, and there's nature and a boulevard, a pretty busy boulevard full of cars. But you know what? Nevertheless, I uh, I tuck in, I turn on my timer for 12 minutes, and uh, and I feel better after. So we'll see how it goes. But I don't know. I feel like we're all searching for something to sort of just get us through. I mean, maybe some people are happy. I, I can believe that. I always ask my shrink that. I'm like, are some people just happy? And he says, yeah, they are. They don't need to come see me. They're not questioning the universe. They probably don't even need to have a podcast. They're just stoked. And if you're one of those people, uh, what's that like? No, <laughs> good for you. You know what? That's awesome. And if you're like me, well, well, you know that nothing I'm going to say is going to make you feel any better. But uh, today's episode is a incredibly wonderful comedian, actress, and just superb person named Lisa Lampanelli. 
I was a huge fan of hers before I met her. And then I had the great honor of having her play my mother in a Judd Apatow movie we did called Drill Bit Taylor, which was over 10 years ago, which is crazy. But we've stayed in touch. We are not just showbiz friends. We are real friends. And we'll shoot back and forth a text every now and again. And whenever she's in L.A., I go and watch her perform. And she's always nice enough to to give me some pretty incredible tickets. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, that's what people in the business do. You know what I mean? You get to a certain level, and you're getting third, maybe fourth row, center, aisle, orchestra tickets to their performances. Just saying. A lot of times you don't even have to pay. Anyway, I love Lisa. I think she has such a dope way of looking at the world, and we've gone through a similar struggle with our weight and working on ourselves, and uh, and we've both come out the other side as beautiful butterflies. So everyone enjoy Lisa. Oh yeah. Is it the best? Yeah, JetBlue Mint. It's the bomb. It's like my favorite thing in the world. Now you could use this stand, you don't have to, you could pull it off, you could do whatever. Oh, okay, so it's no biggie. <laughs> yeah. This is a weird like oh good, it made it nice and firm. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. All right. <laughs> Weird. Hello. Hello. Should we paint the scene for the listeners? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So Do whatever you want. We are in your uh, beautiful east side apartment. Well, yeah, I'm pretty rich. Pretty rich. No <laughs> big deal. But it's in disarray, as you can tell, because mm-hmm. I'm like a massive neat freak. So really? I'm moving and because I'm committing full time to my house in Connecticut. Right. And I'm like, Josh, please don't judge me for my moving. Never. Like my freaking boxes and my freaking inflated bed. Because I'm like, okay, they took all the furniture. Right. I'm like, I don't even have a chair for you to sit on. So we're literally right now, if you can picture it, Lisa and Josh Peck are sitting on an inflatable mattress. But it's a really good one. It's so it's firm. really high end. And thank God you're like 12 years old, so there's no sexual overtones whatsoever. <laughs> no, not yet. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, right. there's always a matter of time. Why not? Right. I can't believe we're friends. I know. I How feel lucky really did lucky. I get? I'm lucky. Really? Yeah. I think fortunate. I'd say fortunate. Yeah, yeah. I would say that it's interesting where we met in our lives, what, over 10 years ago? Oh, my God. Yeah. The only movie nobody saw that Judd Apatow ever did. Oh, the only stinker. And it didn't even stink. I know. It was pretty good. It's adorable. Like, yeah. I contend it is one of the cutest movies ever. Right. I love Troy Gentile and those other little boys Drillbit, on Drillbit Taylor. And just because Owen Wilson tried to kill himself after acting with me, I don't take any offense whatsoever. I don't think you should. Like, it's so funny. Yeah, he did a scene with me and decided, oh, my God, it's not fucking worth living. Yeah, I think it's I time. It's, it's time to punch out for, <laughs> for the rest of my life. When you're acting with a character who can only respond to her real name, so we have to make the part her name. Oh, man. Yeah, Miss Lampanelli. That's me. But you're an actress. I mean, that's your... Fantastic. I mean, that's your... I feel like, above all, and you're a comedy master, but I feel like deep down in your bones, that's who you are, right? Like, dude, I swear to God, I really think, because in acting class, they always say comics are better at drama than other people's comedy. In other words, at sitcom, you don't have the same pacing, so you're trying to superimpose your pacing on top of that, which doesn't work if the writer has a strong voice. So they're always like, 
drama is a lot easier for stand-ups. So I'm like, oh, maybe I'll be on Law & Order SVU one day. Can you, I'm sure. Oh, my God. I could nail that part. Season I could be like 37. Mar- Mariska, Mariska Hargitay's love interest because she doesn't know she's a lesbian yet either. Oh, how great would that be? She's, by the way, does she not defy sexuality? Like, guys want to F her. Gay guys want to F her. Mm-hmm. Straight women want to F her. She just is all over the place. And probably, she's got to be secretly the richest woman on earth. Oh, yeah. She's exec producer of that show, she's which I was so it. happy when I saw it in the credits. It's and her husband's on the show sometimes, which is totally cute. Great. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, they're doing good. And by the way, you know what sucks? I met them in person a couple times, and thank God they're fans, or I would have been really sad. Mm-hmm. She's even prettier in person. Which is almost never the case. I know. Right. You know, and also, because she was cute even when she was young, when she was doing ER. Ugh. What about these kids? They always, if they're cute, child, child actresses, they grow up ugly. Right. Like, except for the Olsen twins. They're hot. Yeah, they're still hot. Every other, oh, other than you. Well, no, you, you're well, better was... looking. You grew better looking. Not to say that fat isn't beautiful, but it's not. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's just get that out we now. We just look better now that we're in shape. I think so. I wonder why, though. I think it's our attitude. Because if you're a big person Mm. and you could pull it off and you have attitude of like true self-love, I think people don't notice. Right. I think you just are beyond criticizing yourself and having other people criticize you. Me, I could not. Like, I could not embolden myself to like myself at a different weight. I think that walked through the door before we did. That energy, right? Physically and energetically. (laughs) My cunt was was leading the way. (laughs) Hello, gunt of Lisa. Oh, look, the gunt is here. Lisa should be here in five. Five minutes. (laughs) Takes her a full five to get off. She's still on the elevator. Right. She's on the fourth floor. (laughs) But I think that's so true, especially with guys that you would see like the token big guy who was athletic and everyone just, I mean, it was a part of him, but it was a real positive thing. And Mm -hmm. I was never that guy. No, dude. It's like we had a lot of, I feel it's the problem with weight is that it's rooted in shame because it's something you think you can control. So in other words, I, the height of my ticket sales for comedy, for instance, were about seven years ago when I sold out Radio City and Carnegie Hall right in a row, like within three months. After that, it became more of a struggle. So I had shame around it because I'm like, why can't I control this? Like, I, this is within, why aren't I more famous? Why can't I control what's going on? Same thing with weight. I right. go, I can control it, supposedly. So I have shame about it. When it comes to a face or your age, I'm never ashamed of those things because they're not perfect, but I'm not responsible for those things. Those are what the universe has given me <laughs> right. and I get them. But the things you think it can control, I always had a huge shame about. And I think there's also that stigma, whether people want to admit it or not, that like someone who's overweight is sloppy and oh, yeah. unreliable or yes, yes. not to be trusted because they can't even... I mean, and while all that's true... Right. Poor <laughs> <laughs> uh, Josh, you're getting all serious. No, but it's true. Like, you're just like, no sloppy... I mean, fat doesn't equal lazy. It doesn't... What not I hate all. is fat equals ugly. Right. Because it's not. There's some good-looking effing big people out there. And, like, I've dated my share of big guys. Right. And they were good-looking. Like, Big Frank D'Amico, Jimmy Big Balls. These are not ugly, fat guys. No. So I think it's this thing where you just got to – if you like yourself internally, you're going to be fine. Right. P.S. Let me shut off the AC because I forgot to. Yeah, let's do that. Let's leave it on the air because look at how human I am. I'm I not mean, ashamed. Come on. Look, uh, I turn off – wait. Let me get the assistant to turn off the air conditioner. Excuse me, Seth. Yeah. Can you turn off the air conditioner, please? I fucking hate that bit. <laughs> I mean, 
it's only audio files listening to this thing anyway. Yeah, like what's your target market? Who, Child actors? Oh, Jesus. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now like I've literally interviewed all the people that I love and find fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, will the 18-year-olds that follow me on Instagram be like, okay, I want Saget, Lampanelli. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, who are these old people? Well, you know what I think it is? Part of it is going to be where 20% to 40%, if they love it, that's great. Right. They always so everything like is divided into thirds. A third of the people won't even know who you are or care about you. A third of the people hate you, and a third of the people in the middle are like, "Yeah, I'll give it a, tr- a shot." Yeah. Why so not? even if we're appealing to a small segment of the population, who cares? Well, much to your decision to move to Connecticut, mm-hmm. this sort of mirrors that in the in the sense that I just said, "Listen, I can't make this podcast about." curtailing it to a certain audience that loves me and follows me. And I so hope that they come over, but Mm -hmm. it's like, this is something that I'm passionate about that, that appeals to me and, and what I really like. And hopefully they agree. Yeah. And it's really none of our business, what they think of us. Right. Because the fact is I just came out of a, I did a workshop at Kripalu, which is this yoga and meditation place in the Berkshires. And it's called designing and leading transformational workshops. Cause mm. I wanted to take my place stuffed, which is about food and body image, take scenes from it and do like a storytelling workshop, but a workshop like to end, like kind of working on loving yourself through story. Right. And, um, I was like, you know, most of my audience is going to be like, what the fuck <laughs> part of that's what I'm passionate about. And uh, you know what? The segment that comes, well, it could be 20 people. It could be 10, I wouldn't care. Right. Because I'd be like, oh my God, like 10 people feel better about themselves physically now that I did this workshop. Mm. So I think we, they said also, if you have no passion, it's not going to drive whatever you do. Like you will lose interest. If it's anything we calculate that will make us more famous or make us more money or whatever, Never works. It'll never come through. Oh, and even if it does, we'll be miserable doing it. So we'll be like, well, that was a big lose-lose. Right. Yeah, and I think the universe like teaches us those lessons of saying, ah, you did that because it thought you thought it was going to get you something. Mm-hmm. Well, that's Jim Carrey's whole sort of yeah. vibe now, right? Right. Like, what if you got everything you ever wanted and it wasn't enough? Because it never is. But I will take $100 million and then <laughs> decide. Right? You think you will? Right. But even Tom Petty, I heard him say that on that Elvis documentary on HBO. He was like, there always comes a point where you're like, the money and the fame isn't enough. Right. And I experienced that on such a tiny level compared to those guys. But I'm like, oh my God, it isn't enough. And right. what do we really get filled with is, for me, it's connection, friends, family, humans, and just kind of connecting with others. And that's my big drive now. Were you, were you always making people laugh? Were you always entertaining? I think I went to this rehab for codependency years ago when I was dating a bad guy. It was oh. this awesome thing at Karen Foundation, which is a famous drug and alcohol place. So even though I never had a drug or alcohol problem, mine was always food and relationships. Those Same were my thing. issues. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'm going to go there. And it was really hardcore for a week. So... What we had to do was, at one point, they asked you to do this family atom work mm. where you figure out which part of the family you were. Were you the addict, the enabler, the mascot, the lost child, the whatever? And my role, once we figured it out, was the mascot, which didn't necessarily mean funny, right. but it meant that I could distract my mom if she was upset. I could get her in a good mood when... The other kids could have said the same thing and they would have gotten in trouble. Right. The cheerleader. Yeah. So I was the one who could be like, ha ha, mom, tweak, tweak. And she would just like be diffused. 
So I guess that's kind of how that comedy thing kind of took hold of, oh, it makes me feel good to make mommy in a good mood. Now, did you ever have to decide what kind of mascot you were? A tiger? Right. Well, you know, I like <laughs> the animal? Miami Heat. I like that. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. How dare you not be serious during this podcast? <laughs> I it's, mean, God. What am I not revealing enough? <laughs> I love it. I'm going to pull a full Gilbert Gottfried and say nothing. Really? <laughs> no, <laughs> please. Please. I'll kill myself. Um, yeah, Saget said Nothing, and then other things. <laughs> that happens. It was know? a good balance. We have our moments, you know. Um, and so, so here you are, the mascot. You're growing up, and did you have any inkling that you would that this is where you were going? Like, I think I in my book I talked about this event that happened at my aunt Rose's house, and Aunt Rose was the best. She was my father's favorite aunt. Mm. She was such. I mean, you could tell she was about that name. I love old fashioned names. She was Italian and very warm because his mother was cold, but she, Aunt Rose was warm. Right. So. So um, my dad just loved her. And we go over and I make this joke. Like years ago, um, Macy's name was, this is before you were born, it was called Macy's and Bambergers. That was the full name of the store. So me, being like seven, I thought it was hilarious to say Macy's and Hamburgers. Right. And they laughed so hard. Because think about it, like an eight-year-old, six-year-old, you're like, oh, that's so cute. Well, guess what? God forbid I'd shut my mouth then. I said it again, like fucking crickets. Yeah, it like was, it was like, good once. Yeah, why are you milking the joke, bitch? <laughs> yeah, so I learned doing? this early on to not do that. But I remember that was kind of my first laugh. Right. And then in high school, I was really funny. They had to sit me in a row called Murderer's Row with these other people because we were super smart, but we were not good as far as paying. And we, we weren't good at being nice to the teacher. Like right. we were cunty for sure. Like we were always just like making fun and stuff. So they sat us all in a row to watch us. And um, ends up we're all like really successful and went to good colleges, but we just had big mouths and we like to make fun. So I put it off until I was 30. And then I was like, you know, it's gnawing at me since I'm eight. I better try it. Mm. I try it once. If it sucks, that's okay. At least I won't say I didn't try it. And did you, because you started in journalism, right? Right, right. Was that a love for you in any way or it just made sense? You knew how to talk, you knew how to write. and Well, you know what I, it was that I really, I went to Boston College my first year and hated it. I was uncomfortable being away from home. I That's when all my food issues started, my, my overeating and stuff and gaining weight because I felt like food was my only friend because right. I was just, I didn't fit in at all. I had terrible housing. I was housed with seniors and I was a freshman. They hated me. I hated that. Like it was awful. And so I was just really lonely. So there's food. So I noticed for at some point I met a few members of the hockey team who were really nice. Like it was really weird because they weren't rapey athletes. Right. Which I'm always like thinking every athlete's a rapist. Hockey players are understated. They're yeah. like the nice guys of the sports yeah, world. I got really lucky meeting the non-rapists. So I was like, okay. And they <laughs> asked me, they asked me how fast I, or I, it came up that I could type 106 words a minute. And I was like, I had nothing to do. And I'm like, I'll, I'll correct your papers and type them. I'm really good with punctuation and spelling. I'm doing this stuff. And I go, this is a sign. I've got to be a copy editor. I'm so good at copy editing to this day. Like no one's more careful with that shit. Like really? I love it. Like you'll never find a mistake in anything I do or like all my website stuff. So I became obsessed with that. So I transferred to Syracuse because I was like, oh, I'm going to go to the journalism school and become like an editor. And, you know, you get derailed. I kind of started writing features and interviewing rock bands and heavy metal bands when I got out. And um, 
by 30, I was like, well, kind of did everything I wanted to do, met all the people I wanted to meet, like Rush and Jethro Tull and all those guys, and interviewed them. I'm like, I'm never going to be great at this. I'm always going to be good. Right. But do something you're great at. Let's try this comedy thing, and we'll see what happens. So luckily for the world, I was great. Thank God for <laughs> Thank all God, of us. God, what would they have without me? Oh, please, you'd be <laughs> lost. Is anyone funny in your family? My sister thinks she's funny. My sister, <laughs> if she was hearing this, she'd like totally laugh because she's always one. I'm funny too. Uh, I'm funny too, but she's literally the most caring, vulnerable person I've ever met. And I've said, we used to make fun of her all the time because she'd cry about her husband leaving town. She'd be like, oh, he's going to miss seeing Emily and Alec for a week. <laughs> and so we would be laughing at her. But I said to her, you know, now that I'm sort of working on myself more the past five years or so, I was like, you know, I was a pussy. I was really, you know, I really admired you could put yourself out there like that. I could never cry in front of people before. Right. So she's, she's put it this way. I'm the, I'm the quiet one. She's like loud as fuck. Really? Yeah. Entertaining. Like you never seen a better hostess. She'll have big parties. Like she's like, yeah. yeah magnanimous. You know? Yeah. Oh my God. To a Out fall. there. So then my brother, who's much more calm, very calm. He works for ESPN. He has a uh, pretty high level job with them. Connecticut. Um, and yeah, they're both in Local. Connecticut. He's very, my brother was a baller. He went to University of Missouri for journalism. Right out of there, he was offered a job in Alaska at the Anchorage Times, and he was like, I'm going. Like, he had no fear about right. living in fucking Alaska. I'm like, okay. Then he moves back and to the Hartford Current. Then everybody's trying to recruit him, Boston Globe, this and that. And um, ESPN, he ends up at, and he, he, you know, he's been there like 20-something years. And what's funny, he has like the best life i told my mother if she ever had to do a sophie's choice right. keep him and kill us that's yeah because he's definitely the best one out of the three right he's he's been killing it for a while killing now. It, but also just because he has this like wife who i think got a hold of him early they met like first week of college right and i think she just like r taught him midwestern values and to not be a crazy italian and just to be a normal human being and their kids are all fucking like in the Peace Corps and Special Olympics teachers and things like that. And I'm like, okay, like. Yeah, they domesticate they, us. Yeah. And we're not as good as them. I mean, I say right. hunt for a living. I would kill me too. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I find guys, especially, they get to a certain age and if they're not married, for not all, mm -hmm. but some, they're oddly feral. Yeah. They're like ungroomed. They don't know what to do. They've been in the wild too long yeah. and they've they've feasted on too many carcasses. Well, what's funny about that, at this retreat this weekend, one of the uh, leaders was this older guy who used to work for the Peace Corps named Jim. And at one point I noticed he's the most spiritual guy, but I looked at his sock and it had the biggest hole in the ankle. Like it was hilariously huge, like five inches across. Like one, why? There's not even a sock there, pal. Right. So I said to his wife, who's 20 years younger, I said, dude get this fucking guy some socks. And she goes, oh, I love him. But sometimes I say, Jim, they're going to give you free coffee because they think you're homeless. Right. <laughs> so she got a hold of him like just in time to maybe spend five years left of his life dressing like a human. Right. Yeah, I, but I think guys need a little bit of that little touch, you know? Get Jim to TJ Maxx immediately. Yeah, honey. Get the guy some socks. I wanted, him to buy, I wanted to buy him socks myself, but then I was like, I'm caretaking. I can't do that. Right, exactly. Dude, God I gotta forbid. fucking watch myself all the time. I mean, my wife is was grew up in Sacramento, mm -hmm. good Irish Catholic broad, like mm -hmm. just perfect family, beautiful. I mean, not without their dysfunction as sure. all families have, but 
really just rooted in in goodness. I and know. So you see those families, and you're like. I know at heart we're all dented cans, and I know that, like, my family had flaws. And I think my biggest family flaw was that, you know, when I'm doing all these workshops trying to figure out why do I have self-hate about certain areas, and you hear all these people going, oh, my family said you'll never amount to anything or be careful or whatever and don't take any risks. My family never said shit like that to us. They never built us up too much, but they never put us down. So I'm like, why right. am I effed up? I think my mother and father role modeled that they didn't like themselves. So mm. I saw it. I didn't become a victim of it. Nobody said to me, you're worthless. But I think I saw my father allowing him to be treated certain ways, my mother too. And you just pick that up. Right. So it's funny how it's not just what you say to your kids. It's how you treat yourself. Right. You know? But is it possible too that, I mean, I'm always fascinated with the addiction gene, right? And why mm. one kid has the same parents, same same rearing as his brother, and right. he's an addict and the brother just right. isn't. Right. And sometimes I, I think you're just born with it to a certain extent. Well, in this food rehab I went to once, they said you're born sensitive. Like there are some people who are born sensitive. Right. And a lot of those are open to addictions. I also just think my brother, for being on his own, halfway across the country at 18, he built resilience due to this family, these in-laws. And you just like have a resilience that you I found it harder to get until recently because right. it's hard to always be like okay turn it didn't happen to you it happened for you like that's resilience oh yeah and it's like oh I never heard that expression five years ago I remember I heard an older <clears throat> sober guy with like 40 plus years sober and he said uh he said eventually it'll turn into it'll go from why me to, to why not why, why not, not me? me yeah i love why not me right why do i have cancer why not you yeah you're special right. like that's the whole thing i love people who think they're special because i used to be that always i was like i shouldn't have to have this i shouldn't have you know really why not right you know i love like bringing myself or i like bring other people down to peg <laughs> that's more fun but just to clean my own clock and go you know, we're all just the same. Right. I hate that. Like, I will be totally, because as a stand-up, you have to be judgy or you're not funny. Like, you have to have a strong things. opinion on things. Yeah. All things. Well, I said at Kripalu the other week, it was so funny because I go to them, look, what I learned this week a lot was that you have to really not judge people on what they present outwardly because I always, even though I go to these things, I look at them and I put myself as like, oh, look at that one, you know, uh, well, like serious and spiritual. Of like, course. Yeah. They're not. Half oh. of them in those, I said, you're white. Why are you wearing a fucking Indian robe? <laughs> yeah. It's a sorry. Give me break Stop over it. here. Yeah. Right. You're, you're white. Yeah. It's Deal enough already. But I go, you know what? That person was laughing really hard when I was telling them some shit. So I go, yeah, that's where my judginess has to start on stage and on stage. And then in my real life, go, let's see what they have to offer. I got to be more open like that. Well, I find with stand-ups, too, when early on, it's just based around the bit and the punchline. Mm -hmm. And then people that really come into their own and, and attain that level, and you and, and the Bill Burrs and, and the greats, it becomes, no, I have a funny take on life. Yeah. The way I see shit is funny. And I can go out there. I don't have to have a perfect bit assembled. Yep. Yep. I can just go out there and sort of narrate what's going on, right? Well, what's funny is I go on stage like 80% of the stuff unprepared because I just want to see what happens. Really? But I don't think you can only do that if you 
you know, after like 10 years of going, I'm really prepared. And I love everything starts on stage. Like I've never done a bit that you type it out first. Really? It's mostly like, oh my God, listen to this shit. And you say what happened to you that day or whatever. Then you tape record it and you add more punchlines later or whatever. But everything sort of starts on the stage. Like I, I had just gotten out of a yoga retreat where, by the way, I don't do yoga. <laughs> so I had just gotten out of it and I was like, I got to just spout off on stage. And I'm smart enough to know I'm going to bring it to some kind of punchline. Like I'm not stupid. I know how to do comedy. So I just started ranting about it. I go, this fucking yoga retreat. I said, I don't do no yoga. They taught us. I go, all I know is that yoga was invented by some uh, fag who wanted to learn to suck his own cock for himself. <laughs> right. And these bitches, all they want to do is be rich white bitches who don't wear zipper pants with a zipper because they're fucking fat. You know? So what it's you do closer. is you just know that you're working on the bit, you tape it, and then you add more later. But I'm interested, where, at what point... Is it you in your like Lisa in yoga? Boom, that's a bit. When well, no, do you just, decide? It just seems so ridiculous because you go, I can't believe I just was with the ohm assholes and now I'm with these fucking assholes saying uh, right. insult comedy. Like, and you just go, I'm the weirdest person you would think of on one of these retreats, but yet I go like all the time to these different workshops and all that. And I think by showing that, yeah, you can work on yourself even if you're a comic or even if you're a baller or you're loud mouth you know anybody can right my whole message i think really for the future it started with the play was like i'm still looking for answers and i'll find some and i'll die not knowing others and it's okay if we don't solve anything sometimes we're just going to never be fixed but we're still working on it keep working on it right I, you know, I found too, it's funny when I met my wife and early on in our relationship, it was so illuminating to see the way in which we dealt with conflict mm. because I'm, you know, I come from a single mom, never knew my pops, just me. And so conflict to me went so fucking Freudian deep down yeah. that I said, well, if my dad left, you can leave, which means anyone can leave. So why don't I leave? There you go. You know, wow. I'll leave first. That's deep. Yeah. And with someone like her who comes from a very secure, strong family, her whole thing was like, we can fight. We can even go to bed angry. Yeah. But in family, you don't leave. You oh get mad. Wow. Family doesn't leave. Yeah. And I, and for me, that was such a breakthrough moment of like, oh, we, okay. Like, yeah, we're allowed to argue. Cause we're allowed. I, it's so funny. I'm the same as you. Cause I'm like, oh, you know, there was so much screaming at home that that's like, what we do, but then we wake up the next day and don't address it. That was the problem. Right. Like a real couple will actually kind of talk it through the next day. Right. You know, which is a mature way to do it and the sound way to do it. But, oh my God, like this is so funny because I told all my friends recently, like I cleaned house from a lot of friends, but then I was like, okay, the few friends I have, I have to have them challenge me because I'm so opinionated. So I want to know if I'm rubbing them the wrong way or I'm wrong. You got to challenge me. You can't just act like you're a paid employee. Like, right. because I'm such a big mouth, like sometimes they would be scared to say something. So I said to my friend, Cindy, who I had met at this retreat place, I go, dude, you know, like, honestly, I love, love challenges. So one day I, I call her up and I'm venting about something. I mean, and venting, as you know, you don't hate the person you're venting about. You just want to Get it out so you can go back to loving it. Yeah, them. you got to so talk like, it out. Yeah, oh, this happened. And so then my voice shifted and we talked about it for real. And then she brings up, she goes, you know, I just want to say that, like, I just, how should I handle, like, venting with you? Because I noticed that 
you got really angry and it started like sapping my energy. And of course, the first thing in my oh, head is like, oh, <laughs> right. you're such a flower. Oh, you're so fucking so I, delicate. So I didn't say anything, thank God. And I go like this. Oh, I said, well, first of all, I can't sap your energy. And I suggest maybe you get more resilient and figure <laughs> out how to not to let other people's energy affect yours because right. that's imbalance. I go, but also, how about I do this? If I want to vent, I call you and I said, for five minutes, I'm just going to vent. So just like time me. Right. And this way, I get it out. And she goes, that's a great solution. And I told her that I was like, because at first I was like, poor you. Right. And that's what I used to stay with. The poor you. Oh, poor you. And then I'd be like, I'm not friends with that pussy. Where there's a very, really valuable person there. Right. And you fucking just diss them because they have feelings. Well, it's incredible how, I mean, I can eviscerate someone in the moment. And I mean. It's terrible. And it blasts through, and yet, it, if I, it, it's almost better. And and I've learned this over the years too, of you know the whole restraint of pen and tongue type thing. But it's like, oh. God, with just a, a a couple days space in between the event and how I'm feeling, and once everything sort of leveled out a little bit, and you know the the Wellbutrin's kicked in. Yes, <laughs> right. Yes, it's like it's all fine. It's it fine. Is. Thank God I didn't react. Well, you know what's funny? When I do do that big reaction, because I try not to do it since my dad died, I always wanted to, I always said, like, I don't want to yell off stage or curse off stage because my dad liked, you know, very ladylike, like Audrey Hepburn and Grace Kelly. Right. He was such a gentleman. Like, he always had a little handkerchief. He so was just, he like, wasn't a yeller. Humble. Oh, no. no. He was very humble and very, like, mild and just a sweetheart. Nobody disliked him. Like, he was an artist. He painted that. He painted that. He painted everything in my house, you know? Wow. And he was just a really great spirit guy. But, so I go, maybe just to honor him, I'm going to not curse and yell off stage as much, much as possible and see if it brings people closer to me. Right. Because I think that one little change, people become closer to you if you're not screaming all the time. <laughs> like, duh. <laughs> so, I think, like, those things... I go, wow, did I save a lot of relationships by not just like doing that kind of screaming thing? But the occasions that I do it, I'm like, man, now I got to apologize. So you make like the biggest mess. If, right. So if I hadn't reacted first, I wouldn't have done I that. Have but to I'm clean always going to make up. a mistake. There's always going to be a couple times a year that I fucking go off on somebody because usually it's when they're not <laughs> taking care of themselves and I get really caretaking on them how about this the other day i have road rage i don't honk my horn mm -hmm. but i'm literally someone cuts me off and i'm like in my i'm the guy when you look in your rear view mirror waving his hands talking to myself <laughs> the guy pu pulls his arm out of the car and says waves me over says come next to me so i'm like let me go talk no, to this son no. of a bitch i pull up it's my friend <laughs> he saw that shit coming oh my god he's like why are you so angry you fuck I'm like oh and like I literally was like I'm busy and I just <laughs> flipped over I couldn't even face it's him it's so embarrassing I was we so go, humiliated I, just I, I made myself look like such a fool yeah and it's weird road is the only place I've never had rage I think because I'm so happy in my car right that's why I'm not a true New Yorker why I belong in the suburbs because I always drive in the city like right. I've never taken a, I don't like taxis, Ubers, subway, nothing. I always get my car out of the garage and drive. Yeah, you're And right. I think I'm so happy in that zone because I'm protected. I feel like, oh, Howard Stern's on. I could just listen to whatever I want. So what I'll do is like, I always act like if I, because I'm a great driver. I said I got two talents in the world, comedy and driving. Like I could be a gangster limo driver. I would be so good at it. And I swear 
every time somebody honks at me that I do a little something wrong, I'll go, oh my God, they recognize me and I'll wave. Like I'll pretend, I'll go, thanks, oh my God, thank you. It's a great <laughs> coping mechanism. Turn it around. Yeah, yeah, it sucks. I am. I wanted to go back to what you were saying before I interrupted you sure. about the whole, when you find that you really blow up at someone, it's because they're not taking care of themselves. Oh my God. And it's so none of my fucking business. It really isn't. And yet you can't help yourself sometimes. I know I'm working on, my past two years have been working on accepting people where they are. Right. If I think they should be somewhere else, they need to be somewhere else. It's so stupid. Like, oh yeah. Who the fuck am I to say? A friend of mine needs seven operations from different car accidents. She was in fear and couldn't work through doing them. So she put, put them off 15 years, and now it's getting, like, crisis. Like, do it, or else you're not going to be able to walk. Like, she's technically disabled anyway. She fucking, I, when I stopped, like, being all judgy, and I'll go, oh, you'll know when you need to do it. Oh, you'll know, which killed me to say at first. Mm. Oh, that must be hard for you. Like, I would want to fucking kill myself. I'd go to the shrink and scream. She got her first operation last week because I shut my fucking, or partly because I let her get to it by herself. Right. So I'm like, that does no good. I have a friend. She has dated the same prototype of a guy for the past 30 years and has no knowledge of it. And I would get so mad. I almost broke up with her as a friend. Like I, in my head, I go, I can't be friends with her. And then I go, why can't I? She's fun. I like her. Right. Like, why don't you just have fun with her? She could be my fun friend. Boom. She broke up with the latest guy. Right. And you go, yeah, I had nothing to do with that except shutting my fucking mouth. Well, especially relationships because it speaks to people's deepest programming, right? The people in yes. which they choose to be with. Yeah. And if they haven't done the work or what have you, I mean, there's no intervening in that. None. And it takes two to tango. Oh, hell yeah. Because they're, they used to say in that food rehab... Every time I got fucked, I bent over. (laughs) Like, you know, nobody offered the old ass up, you know? Yeah, we were all a part of this dance. Definitely. So I go, you know what? I was where she was. Thank God I never dated the most horrible addicts or, you know, pothead, yeah, but that wasn't, thank God, not terrible. But my journey might have been a little easier. Right. Some people have it more difficult. Just shut up. It's none of your business. And you go, suddenly when you act like a shrink and you just go, wow. You know what it is? It's about not advice giving. or right. if Unsolicited. They, but if they demand it, you absolutely detach and you go, they're not going to listen to me anyway. But right. I'm going to say it if you really, because I've said to her, do you really want to know? She's, oh yeah. And I go, hey, you date the same guy all the time, but you shouldn't, but you, you can't embrace that yet. And I totally get it. Right. So whatever you, well, we're friends, it doesn't matter. And then detach. Right. That's so hard, but I've been oh. working on it. That's my big struggle lately. My wife gives me like 99% of the time, it's the governor. It's do not say anything. Right. Keep it to yourself. Right. She's like, the best thing she's ever said to me was, you know, you Jews, you like to talk about being Jewish a lot. You do? She's like, you all get together. It's You're all lovish. you talk about is being yeah. Jewish. Yeah. I'm like, that's, that's a great observation. But it's so, it, it has been so helpful to me because what are we trying to do, right? In the moment, we're trying to feed, we're trying to get off on that anger high, that righteousness, right. you know? Right. Totally. Check man. me out. Look yeah. how evolved I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what I think you should do, I right. found it's so funny because I've kept my weight off after the surgery for six years. You and I both know weight is like a bear. It's so, it's like a real big hard issue. Mm. But I've had to work on it every fucking day and it's not going away. Like 
good. That's my lesson this time around. Fine. So it's really hard to keep the same weight for over six years. So me and my friend, we call each other once a week and we go over what we did and what our intentions are for the week and what tools we're going to use. And it's great to have somebody who gets emotional eating and understands it. And I found myself today on the way in, we had our phone call and I totally over advice gave because she's, I usually don't with her because she's so aware. And I just said something like she said she was on set of a uh, web series that she was in, didn't eat all day, was starving. So went to craft services and they were all the bad food. And I go, that's weird. I go, because that's so not like you. I said, didn't you have like snacks with you and like healthy stuff? Right. Oh, no. I go, you might want to go to Amazon. and look. And so I'm way over advice giving. Right. And at the end, I just go, and I totally over-advised Gabe, and I'm really sorry. And did I overstep? And she goes, oh, no, I love these ideas. I go, remember to tell me, because I will just give you a whole tutorial. Right. Like, you need to learn how to order exactly what I order on Amazon. Bring six with you. Da, 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 da. First, you need Prime. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, come on. Oh, if you don't, you're not even, you're new at this. They need to yeah. add that to the Bill of Rights. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> People need to be born and with that. And if you don't have your Quest Bars and your Crave Jerky, you're fucking insane. Get your protein. But, you know, it's weird because I just got to now say to people, I think I overstepped and I'm sorry. Right. I used to not see it. I used to think I was such a gift. Please look at me. I am gifting you with this knowledge. Let That's me what you do fix you. Gifting <laughs> you with this knowledge. Oh, it sounds you, like my mother. I know, right? It's yeah. so funny. So I have to keep myself in check, or hope my friends do. Well, it's it's funny too when I talk to my mom now, and God bless her. I find myself doing the exact same thing where she likes to say, "Here's the deal." <laughs> Oh my God, that's my words too. And she starts breaking it down. Yeah. And I'll see it with friends and people that like their eyes start glazing over when I go there. And I'm like, that's my mom. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. The over explanation. "Ah, You kids. I know how to solve this. And of course we wouldn't listen to her. Now I'm going, she was right. Like every fucking asshole that she didn't like that I dated, she was right. Right. You know? And uh, it wasn't until, you know, Jimmy wasn't an asshole, thank God. We, we all still like him because it's the one asshole my mother approved of. And right. he's a good guy, so we just weren't meant to be. But remember that thing you said about how, you know, you blow up and then, like, uh, you have to apologize later or right. it comes down in, like, three days? I never told anyone this. This is so funny. Everybody's like, oh, you know, did you and Jimmy just decide to get a divorce and amicably? Thank God, yeah. But, like, it took me, like, snapping like a maniac, like you just described, like, when you just, like, freak out on them. Because I remember I would gotten my gallbladder out, and I kind of knew, you know, this thing isn't working. Mm. We're just friends. We're, like, roommates. It's horrible. So we'd never fight, but there was never connection. So I got my gallbladder out, and Jimmy comes in, and he's all frustrated with CVS or whoever, and he slams the pills on the table. And I just got out of the fucking operation. So he slams him around and I go, what? And he goes, fucking CVS, this and that. And he was really angry, which means he's internally angry about something. Sure. And I just go, you motherfucker. I go, you know what? I go, I'm the one who just got out of the hospital and you have to always say how much you do for me. Well, I don't love you. I fucking hate you. I want a divorce. Now get, this is how nuts I am. I go, get in that fucking bedroom. And if I see your fucking face, I go, I'll kick you the fuck out and you can get back to your parents' house. Well, (laughs) it was mental. I call my friend Luke at the time and I go, you got to drive me to my house in Connecticut. I can't stand this fucking guy. Three days later... 
I go, wow, that was a dick move. It was all my anger coming out about that I married the wrong guy. It's all my fault. You think? And I called him. I said, listen, first I want to apologize for that. But you and I both know this doesn't work. Right. I go, it had to come out. So it's not, you know how we always sort of tell stories about how we met someone or how we divorced. We always, like... A couple's first meeting is never as cute as they describe it. Like yeah, they, the cute oh, they forget meet. about the one before. Yeah. Like where they hated each other or whatever. So I go, Yeah. I had to blow up to the end and pull it all back and apologize. Right. So it's pretty interesting. You gotta just it, that divorce would have been horrible if I had continued that way. Right. That's an epic ender though. Whoa. Wow. I mean that's that's yeah. And of course, who wants to marry somebody that they treat like that who I go, get in that fucking room. Like, it's a kid, <laughs> right. and don't you fucking come out there. I'll see your face. I'll fucking kill you. I mean, come on. No, that's this great. This is a bad thing. No, that's full Sopranos type yeah. shit. That's like, and what was, did Big Balls say anything? Any he, retort? He just walked out. Well, yeah, because, you know, he. He's like, you know, I got the pills. A, I'm a little agitated. Oh, I'm so, sure. I mean, he didn't yell back because he was like, this could go. He was smart enough to like just. It was going to get hectic. I think it also shocked the shit out of him and said. I want a divorce because I'm, I always said about this, Jimmy's not, you know, he's not complicated. He's right. easy. He would have gone on with that thing forever. He would have made it work. Yeah. Because, eh, so we're not having sex. So we don't talk. So we always want to be, dude, I had four different houses just so I never had to be with him. But it right. was subliminal. It wasn't like I thought, I need four houses. I was like, well, that's nice. Well, that's not, what week are you going there? What week am I going? Oh no. Why don't you go to Canyon Ranch for a while? Oh, go to the house look there. Look at that. It's Ships like passing in the night. Horrible. Okay, guys, I hate to interrupt, but it's your best friend, Josh Peck. I realize this podcast is going incredibly well, and we're going to get right back on that train in a second because it's a good one. But I just, I got to talk about Audible for a second because I love it. I mean, I really, I, you know, you listen to these things and you hear ads on podcasts and you go, all right, let me just, you know, skip on through to the rest of the pod. Don't do that. Not with this one. Because as you know, I am a huge purveyor, lover, consumer of people talking in an audio way. I don't even know if that just made sense. But what I'm saying is I love podcasts. I love listening to people talk and I love listening to books and audible has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazines, newspaper publishers, etc. Yes, it can be you too. Like recently, I was listening to, oh, Hummingbird by Jude Angelini, which is like kind of a Bukowski-esque tale of his romps and misadventures and Hollywood and all around the country traveling and growing up in Detroit. And he's had so many crazy, cool experiences that I would never have the confidence to have, but he's had them and I get to listen to them. So I really kind of get the fly on the wall experience, which I love. Here's an even better news. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash peck. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash P-E-C-K and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title free, and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash peck or text peck to 500-500 to get started today. Who are you? 
We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The people who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make the show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to listenerq, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q.com slash curious and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered into a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Yeah. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash curious. That's ListenerQ.com slash curious. I remember I asked my shrink once. I was like, is anyone just happy? And not that you meet meet them because mm-hmm. all you see is sad fucks all day. Yeah, I yeah, said, yeah. But I'm like, is anyone just happy? Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah. Yeah. He's like, I, I think it might be him. But <laughs> Thank God, because you know what? That's the one to go to then. Right. Because I always said with a shrink, pick somebody who seems to have the life you want. But there's some people that just aren't wandering. They're not. No. no they're not contemplating the universe. They're not asking the big questions. They're, they're just like, oh. Simple. Yeah, they're like chicken parm, yum. Yum. Like, and also, I think soaked. Jimmy is uncomplicated, and the girl he met is uncomplicated. Right. That's why, and I love her, and I went to their wedding, and it's just not complicated. Any like, weirdness they, there watching? Yeah, oh, God, no. No. I said there was nothing, because by then we had so evolved as friends, like hanging out, the three of us, and you know other people and stuff that were just like, yeah, of course we're friends. This is stupid. Right. It was so much fun going to a wedding that I didn't have to be in. As totally. far as a bride. Like, I I was watching this documentary on Gloria Allred yesterday. Did mm. you see that one on Netflix no. or Hulu or whatever? Dude, I loved... Her daughter said to her at one point, do you think you'll ever want to get married again? And she goes, no. I'm, I'm so happy now. And that's how I feel. Right. So I'm not closed off to the idea of relationships or love or marriage, but I can't even imagine being happier. Like, I don't know what that would add to my life. So I think it's always a balance between being shut down and bitter versus, oh my God, I just love, there's not, dude, if you ask me right now, if there's one thing I'd change in my life other than getting the rest of this stuff in a moving van to move it to Connecticut, I wouldn't change a fucking thing. Really? It's crazy. Wow. But it's because I've been working on all this stuff. It's funny. My mom says, uh, she does that thing that all many mothers do, which is that like the guy that created my show, he's in his fifties. He created Drake and Josh and he's very wealthy, very prolific. His wife created hungry girl. And so they are like quite the power couple and lovely and happy. And, and my wife, my mom always says, you know, it would have been nice if they had a child. Oh my God, you that's know. so funny. <laughs> it's like the one thing. And, and maybe I, it wouldn't have been nice. Maybe yeah. it wouldn't. And right. maybe they couldn't have done what they did. And maybe they just knew that this was their life and they're very content. Well, dude, I the only time I ever was sad I didn't have kids was when I became grandmother age. Because right. I was like, oh, I'll never have grandkids. So I was kind of going, let me mourn this. And this was around the time that we got divorced. So I was like... Wow, Jimmy, as a man, you can go on till you're 80 and have a kid. Right. But I can't. And I go, but I'm not sad over the kid part. I go, what is it? What is it? And I go, oh, sad when I watch my mother with the grandkids. Well, the grandkids are the highlight, let's be honest. Oh, yeah, my mother's like so good at it. It's the whole reason to have a kid. And I go, guess what? My shrink, this was great. She goes, can't you just treat your nieces and nephews like they're your grandkids? I'm like, yeah. Right. I'm like, 
cool. And it all shifted. So there's those replacement kids. And even if they're not even in your life, even if you have no nieces and nephews, there's other ways of getting that fix. Right. Whether it's pets, whether it's uh, freaking like volunteering. And I know it's all like hard. And but like if you want it bad enough, you can find it. Isn't it great when a shrink says something that validates how much oh. money you pay them? Oh, my God, yes. It doesn't happen every session, I've noticed. Oh, oh, I've noticed that, too, because when I said to my shrink, man, I go, I got to try meeting people where they are, and I started doing what you fucking idiots do, which is like, how does that make you feel? And he just started laughing. Because two minutes later, I said, what do you think? And he goes, what do you think? You should? I thought, you motherfucker, you're That's doing great. it again. But I get it. Right. They can't. Do you know what's funny? We, I learned last week that I go, you all have inside you everything you need. Right. And I'm like, oh my God, we do. Every person has inside them every. Who do you think you are to try to, yes, you can like, you know, give them a workshop or give them a lecture if they sign up or storytell or hope they come to a conclusion through that. Then you got to let it go. Right. Like I do this little thing in my act about gratitude because I always was bad at gratitude until it just started happening naturally. Like, I worked on myself so much that you have to eventually feel it. it. But I used to be like that one who would try to force themselves to think of five things during the day and write it in a gratitude journal. I'd be like, this is so fucking gay. Like, <laughs> what am I grateful for? Breath. Right. Fuck you. But then I go, oh, this gratitude is pretty cool. It does. You can't have resentment if gratitude is present. Yeah. So I'm like, well, oh, this is fantastic. So in my act, I do a little thing where I goof on gratitude, but then it's pretty obvious message without being serious. I said to my manager, I go, you know what? 40% probably leave just thinking it was all funny. Uh, but at least there was that little gratitude thing and they'll go, Oh, you know, I shouldn't complain. And they won't even remember where they heard it. So right. even if it's two people or 20%, who cares? Cause I just want them to know that like, they're not the only one working on this shit. So I just love who our message will fall on those who need to hear it. And do you think that, I mean, just as an outsider, I'm noticing this sort of wave of comedy, and I don't know whether it's sort of been, it's always been there, but it seems like the 90s and the 2000s were a different kind of comedy, and right now it's, and I think Chappelle's helped usher that in, and then you watch Chris Rock's new special and what you're talking about, is storytelling, is bringing that that true part of you, and be and not chasing the laugh, embracing the silence in, in parts. Oh, my God. Embracing the silence is hard. I have this story about Trump not complimenting me on The Apprentice. You probably saw it's that. It's a great bit. It's a great story. But what's funny is I told it differently during the practice workshop last week at Kripalu because I told the same story. And the ending in comedy is because he doesn't tell me I look good. And uh, he says, Teresa, you look beautiful today. Aubrey, you look great. And, you know, I'm fat at the time. And, all you know, I'm a battle axe and I'm 50 years old. He's not, I'm not his type yet. Sure. So um, one day he goes, Lisa. And then I'm like, oh, my God, it's my turn. He goes, doesn't Teresa look great today? So in the bit, it's really funny. And I go, you know, hey, there, at first I was mad. But there's a time when a woman just becomes invisible and, like, do jokes about that. But instead, I noticed in the story when I was telling it last week in this workshop about accepting yourself, I go, because and just came out, he goes, Lisa, doesn't Teresa look good today? And they laughed. And then I just, I mean, really felt what I felt at the time. And I go, I go, wow, can't you throw me a bone? I mean, I am a woman. Right. You know, and that just came out and I got like teary eyed and vulnerable. And I go, isn't that interesting that like, when you really tell a story that you're not afraid of the silence. I mean, those chicks, when I did that, they felt it. They're like, I've been there. 
right. matter how good looking or how secure a chick is, they've been there or a guy too. And I was like, wow, there's just so much power in just tweaking it for a different, slightly different audience or a slightly different event. Right. So I love that we can do both. I mean, we're really lucky as stand-ups that we get to, nobody's writing a script for us. We get to do whatever we want. And do you think, I mean, for me, I find it's the true silver lining about any pain that we go through in our life is using mm -hmm. it in which to be, to help relate, to allow people to feel the same way and to see oh. that we've, we've made it through, that they're not alone. I mean, yes. I find that the beauty in any 12 step or, mm -hmm. or workshop or retreat, what have you, is the idea of me too. Oh my God, totally. Because right. guess what? There's this thing they do. They say you have to create an environment of safety. And you don't, some bad workshop leaders or storytellers, not storytellers, workshop leaders or motivational speakers will have a whole safety speech at the beginning of like, look, everything in here is confidential. Everything, in yeah, that's fine. The way to really create safety is to show you're not afraid and that you shared, you're not afraid to share, so they're safe to share. Right. So my way of giving you a safety speech is telling you something vulnerable about me. So I Skin love that. Skin in the game. Yeah. yeah. Gotta have a little dirt on you. Yeah, because why would they feel they can tell the group what they go through if I didn't tell? Right. You're not going to be successful at that then. So I love the fact that I've always been kind of an open book, but now I am get the little, you know, it's good to laugh, 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 and then, wow, drop in. I love that stuff. So I'm sure you've answered this before, but the first time you do comedy, are you funny? How does it go? Well, what I loved about that and why I knew I'm not meant to retire from comedy yet, at least, is that I was describing last week the first time I went on stage. Where was I, it? In New Haven, Connecticut at Joker's Wild, and it's still there, but it's a Great. different building. And a stand-up club or a bar yeah, that has well, a stand-up night? At the time, it felt like – at the time, it was a legit standalone comedy club, like really nice because in those days, there were tons of them, like in the 90s and stuff, early 90s. And then it got where it was you know, more just kind of a bar-looking environment. Right. But, um, oh, my God, it was so great because I had my prepared five minutes that, you know, this little class on how to – they can't teach you to be funny, but they could tell you how to craft five minutes right. so that you don't go up there unprepared. And I remember I'll never forget – I watched the videotape. I still have it in VHS. There's two guys high-fiving at the one ad lib I did and the whole audience. I mean, I was getting consistent laughs, but when I ad lib something really brief – these two black guys high-fived, and I go, I'm fucking meant to do this. So I think that's a really, that's what kind of, when I would want to retire or get out or think it's too hard, I go, oh, that's right. It feels like that. Right. Go, okay, it's fine. Everybody has bad days. I can get out of it when I want to. It's fine. It's like not ego-driven anymore. If I, literally, if I had to retire tomorrow, I wouldn't care because right. I've done enough. I don't have to ever accomplish anything more. And that's a big part of, by the way, moving out of the city is because, like they say in Eat, Pray, Love, every city has a word associated with it. And like Rome is sex, Paris is love, New York is achieve. And I feel like I've done enough. What yeah. else have I got to prove? What else? And that comes with a lot of, I think, awareness that achieving didn't help my ego. I mean, it didn't help my life. 
You got satellite radio in your car. Yeah. Yeah. I got my car and it, I'll drive it until it's in the ground. But that's, I always like to ask that, like for you, who's someone who, it doesn't sound like you came from a lot of money right. and then you've, you've achieved success. What, what material thing for you makes you feel like a rich person? Well, the thing is I used to think different things filled the hole, which as you know, nothing does except right. life and breath and connection. But it's weird. At first it was shoes and bags. And I recently sold all my shoes and bags to a very, very high and high, high, high end furniture to this high end website. And a lot of it I gave to a friend of mine who needs these operations, but a lot I fucking kept. I was like, (laughs) you know what? I love money in the bank. Why not? I think I still felt poor when, even when we had four places to live. Right. I think I just felt like not poor, like, Oh, I don't have enough money, but poor in spirit. But I don't mind that it's a Lexus, but I don't mind that it's all banged up either. Right. I'm going to be the one with the Puerto Rican fucking window when the window breaks and won't roll down anymore to have the plastic on it. I don't give a shit. I'll still have a Puerto Rican window. You got to keep it real. Come on. And I, yes, having a house on the water is super fucking nice. But compared to like, that's what compare and despair, why you can never compare yourself. Compared to really rich people, it's, it's great. But it's not like fucking baller but it's so fucking peaceful. Right. So I think I'd go back to Toyota in a second because I love my, to- I love Toyotas. Like I don't have to have a certain kind of car. Lex is basically a Toyota. Basically. Yeah. yeah it's like, on. it's like cushier uh, seats. Uh, right. That's it. Yeah. I don't need air conditioned seats. My ass is cold enough. Right. It's stupid. <laughs> so I think, I think just knowing they don't really count. And there's kind of fun in bargain shopping. Like at heart, I'm the kid of depression era parents who I feel like, mom, look, I got this for $5. Like I was so happy. I got like a baseball shirt at Forever 21, marked down to $5, and it fits better than the ones that are fucking 80. Of course. It's ridiculous. So I go, this is a sign. Right. But that's always, I find I do that too, because I, I came from really, you know, I mean, we always, we always vacillated between being middle-class and then being dead broke. Right. And so I'm always like, and and I've saved and I've been smart with money. And so I have a little bit and I'm, I drive a, a BMW, yeah. the Jew in the BMW. Yes, yes. And I'm always like, you know, I could do a nice Corolla. I know you could. Anytime. Oh, yeah. There's just something about knowing it doesn't matter. Right. Like if I, I always said to my best friend, Vicky, I said, you know, I'm meant to live in my parents' house, right? Right. And she's like, you've been saying that forever. I know it's true. She goes, you know, it's small, it's cute, it's well kept, but I go with a big house on the water. I don't need it. And she goes, I know. She goes, you know what you need. You need a Toyota and you love to shop at BJ's and like use coupons. I'm all about the Bed Bath & Beyond 20% off single item coupon. Come on, what's better than that? Nothing. Nothing. And you know what? One of what makes me feel like, thank God I have money though, when my niece and nephew want to go see fucking Hamilton or this or that or the other. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. Right. Like I remember we had a marathon, a Broadway marathon a few years ago, and it was like three really expensive shows in two days. And I was just like, yeah, I don't care. Like, yeah, I'll get them. Oh, ooh, how fun. It's those experiences. Like, I love that. Right. We're taking my niece to Iceland for her graduation. She doesn't know. She's going to freak. And because we can. I'm not putting this podcast out soon then. No, it's fine. It's <laughs> right. fine. But yeah, she's your target age range. Right. She's right she in my there. People. She's 18. Shout, what's her name? Eve Marie. 
Shout out, Eve. She's so great. She's Enjoy going to Iceland. For- You're going to Iceland. <laughs> She's going to school at Ithaca for occupational therapy because she learned that she loves to, uh, she helps kids at this camp in the summer for special needs kids. And oh my God, if I could be her, like I would fucking be such a better person because she's like, yeah, I learned all summer. I thought I wanted to be a teacher, but I really liked making life easier for people who can't take a shower, like how to make that a not unpleasant experience and make it into a game. And I'm like, okay, thank God there's people like that because that is not me. Right. Like I fucking hate showering myself. I mean, I see people like that all the time and I'm like, thank God God. you exist because I'm not the one. And you know what? They don't even look at us as less than them either. The right ones. Right. They go, no, no, but you have a purpose like to lighten the load for people. Like Jim Carrey says, the freer of people's concerns. Right. You know, some people need to see us because they're having a death in the family or they didn't get into the college they want and they're just sad for a day. You give them two hours of an escape Hey, look, when I used to break up with guys and I'd watch Sex in the City marathons because I'd be like, oh, my God, there's still hope. Okay, that show shows there's hope. Right. Entertainment does something. I used to devalue my shit. I used to say humor has no place. Humor just, what am I doing? I'm getting laughs. People fucking this week cleaned my clock. They were like, you provide a service and quit denying it's valuable. I mean, I, I contend with that with the Drake and Josh of it all all the time yes. just because you don't necessarily want to be defined by something you did as a teenager. Right. And, right. and while I'm incredibly grateful for it, but sometimes it's like the only thing you're known for, mm-hmm. but I have to be reminded of how happy the show has made people. Oh, my God. When I introduced you to my nephew and his fiance, she oh, was yeah. like freaking out. Dude, that's joy. Right. You know, that's everything. Did you, were you a SpongeBob guy? Yeah, sure. Dude, I never watched SpongeBob before. I just didn't, you know, know really what it was about. But the kids want to go see the one on Broadway. Dude, it's the most joyful thing. My friend Frank said, my opening act, Frank goes, if you hate that show, you hate joy. <laughs> right. We're watching it. I'm going, there's a reason it's still the number one show on that network. It is so great. And I go, someone should give a workshop on how to be a fucking SpongeBob versus a Squidward because SpongeBob just embraces everything with joy. Right. And it's goofy on the surface. Like Steve Martin was like, you know, you can get things on so many different levels. But when you watch that Broadway show or now even the cartoon, I'm like, he's just open. He's like a really spiritual guy. And I just love going, what we did, even if it's couched in humor or just, oh, it's just a sitcom, or it's just this. It's never just anything. Yeah, you can't minimize it when That's it means something do, to people. Yeah. That's um, And you know the guy who does SpongeBob is Tom Kenny, who's a stand-up. No! He was a road comic, but that's such a great sort of take on wow. a, a, taking life and the turns in which it brings for you. Because yes. here he was, David Spade tells a story about being a road comic with him. Mm-hmm. I think it was like Dennis Miller or someone mm-hmm. else, and them all trying out for SNL and Spade got it and he didn't, Tom didn't. And then, but here he is 30 years later, richer than all of them probably, but also made this character that will live on forever. Forever. Yeah. And you know what? I had a real problem and Hamilton really spoke to me and I knew I was meant to be obsessed with Hamilton for a few years because they drum home that thing about legacy. You have no control who lives, who dies, who tells your story. So I was always obsessed with if I don't do a the play, then nobody will know about all this food stuff and nobody will, I'll, I'll die just being some dumb insult comic and whatever. Right. And my friend just fucking, cl- uh, talk about a challenging friend again. She goes, 
stop talking about legacy. All it shows is your unworthiness. So start working on your feeling of unworthiness because all it means is that you're worried you're not enough. Mm. And Alexander Hamilton could not control what people thought of him. And about right. like a hundred years later, here's this fucking play. Now we know everything he did and he has a legacy. So we can't control any of it. So right. I love going, I'm just going to put out there what I want and hopefully it has contributes to somebody. Now, I want to go back to something you were saying before about the first time you did stand-up, you had the ad-lib and the two black guys high-fived each other. Now, you have such an interesting take and and you're sort of known for talking about race and different people and different experience and and what have you. Have you ever had an experience where someone has come up to you after a show or out in public and said, like, you got that so right or you got that so wrong? or Well, at first, I always in the beginning you always get advice from people who aren't successful because they 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 are just have unfiltered like what you should do it's they like, want well, you to what? be on their level yeah and i'm like okay i guess but why don't i listen to somebody with a career first like, <laughs> yeah i'm lucky enough i started when i was 30 so i kind of knew what to not pay attention to but i had a guy early on an unsuccessful comic go yeah i kind of get what you're doing but i don't think you should say like spick and chink and stuff like that and i knew why i was Right. But I'm just like, okay. Rickles told me once to be clean. He he didn't know what he goes. I heard you do kind of the, the insult thing like I do, but you should really be clean. So you work everywhere. And I'm like, okay, Mr. Rickles. And in my head, I'm going, yeah, you old Jew. Like I'm really going to do a bar mitzvah. Like, yeah. You think he goal. was threatened on no, some level? No, I don't. I think he just was trying to give me good advice. Right. It worked for him. You know, if he, cause he me, was clean. Oh, I yeah. guess, I guess so. He'd say the words. Right. He wouldn't say ever the F word or nothing like that. Right. So, but I thought that was cute that like, he's really trying to give me advice, but I'm just going, oh, it's not me though. Cause I think if I hide who I am, cause I'm a cursor in real life. If I hide who I am on stage, people sense it. They, they would know immediately. Yeah. And why the fuck like do something that's not genuine to me? Do you think so. it's your ability in which, cause I find with a great stand up, it's they, you as the audience member feel like you're being led that you feel that the guy up there, the girl up there, whoever is is taking you on this journey, and never once do you feel as the audience member like, do they know where we're going? Yeah, you don't want anyone to ever worry about you. Right. Like, for instance, in acting class once, this was so funny. Like, I was doing this acting program, this six-week acting summer thing at Yale, and I was like, okay, I may never get into the real Yale, but I'll get in for six weeks in the summer. Shit, yeah, That's what buy I the do. T-shirt. Exactly. <laughs> So I'm in this thing, and it was really good, though. And I was like, oh, this is harder than I thought. So I was going to practice a scene from um, Stuffed. I was going to do a monologue. Okay. Well, for some reason, honestly, I thought I was so great because I really cried genuinely during it. And they go, you don't want your audience to worry about you. The power is making them cry, not you crying. Right. And I was like, "Mm, you're right. And in that particular instance, they were right. And that audience would have been like, is she okay? Is she having a fucking breakdown? Like, <laughs> right. what's wrong with her? So yeah, with comedy, it's the same. You want them to know you're in control. Because I can, dude, I've gone off on a heckler, and I'm not even exaggerating, twice for 20 minutes because I was so mad. Give me the play-by-play. Oh my God, like in Vancouver, it's online. They only got seven minutes of it on YouTube. <laughs> the phone ran out of storage. Horrifying. Oh, like, really? Because this woman really pissed me off because she said the one thing you don't say to me, which is, I paid. I, you have to do what we say. 
like I'm your slave, right? And were you? Did it start off funny and go angry, or it no, just it was twenty minutes anger. of anger? Well, something when it hits you where you live like that, I'm like, really? And it just went nuts. Like, and what I said, you know what? You are a plain bitch. I go, you know what's worse than being ugly? Being plain. And you know what that means? No one's ever gonna remember you. I go look at you. What you're wearing's plain. Your face is plain. There's nothing unique or original about you. Deep. You're horrible. And she sat there. Dude. Ate it. It was horrible. Like I'm, I actually am not embarrassed of it or ashamed of it, but it was pretty like, I can get you where you live. Did anyone laugh? People were cheering for me. Really? Yeah. Well, it was really funny because I was like, I was being angry and me angry is really funny. Right. So I went off for like 20 minutes and then I tried to get into a bit because I did, um, you know, of course, then I'm like, have one funny punchline and then they all clap. But then I just was going to go on like I always do because I don't care. And I go, you know what? This is after I kind of had been so mad. And I just go, you know, I got to be honest. I go, I'm trying to be in all a good mood now for these people. But like your energy is so shitty. You know what we're going to do? So I'm going to give you money back and you can leave. I go, but I don't want to perform with you in the room because you just bring a terrible energy. So wow. they got rid of her. I go, I'll pay you back. I go, ask at the box office. Security gets rid of her. After the show, I go up and I go, uh, I say to the security, I go, you know, how much do I owe the box office for that ticket? They go, fuck her. She heckled you. You don't know her shit. Right. I go, you sure? And they're like, yeah, no, we got rid of her. She shouldn't have said that because she was trying to do comebacks and yell. So I felt like if I was in a more loving space i probably wouldn't have done that because i've handled way worse than that comment but that one was a that was one of your core values like there's core things respect like my core issues are i want to feel respected i want to feel included and i want to feel like i belong right and hers went right to respect of like i don't respect you you are our dancing monkey right so you can't hit one of my cores without going okay because she could have said you'll gain all your weight back or you're not successful enough or you're not funny. And I would have been like, that's not a core issue for me. Right. But you get one of my big ones. It's 20 minutes on YouTube. Yeah. It's an explosion. <laughs> it's coming in, but it's fun. kind of. And wh- I'm interested to know, what do you think? Like I'm baffled by hecklers. Cause I'm like, and maybe oh, cause I'm a performer and yes. I'm like, what fucking gives you the right? What crosses your mind to think that you're entitled to say anything? Yeah, like, well, did you watch Jamie Kennedy's movie, Heckler, the documentary? No. I had to watch it twice when I got a bad review once just to make me not be angry and put myself down. It is the best movie documentary ever. And it is how not only it analyzes why hecklers are how they are, but also how social media people, the bad reviewer. I mean, hey, if a New York Times reviewer tells me I suck... I'll take it a lot better than if Joe Schmo would blog, you know, comedy blog 101 says I suck. Right. And I'll like learn something from the times. But if it's somebody who's just a fucking failed, whatever I am, then we got a problem. I'm not going to learn anything. So he really interviews a lot of hecklers and bloggers and stuff about why they are, how they are. It's amazing. He confronts them, but calmly, you'll love this movie. If you're fascinated by that subject. And basically with me, it's like, I got one bad review of my play and it was, in a good magazine, but I was like, who the fuck is this person? So before I let it ruin my opening night, I went 
I stayed up late and I researched the writer. Failed actor, failed female drag queen, which I don't even know what that means. Right. Failed comic. So basically failed in everything. Right. And was and fat, super fat. Love it. So basically hated that I lost the weight because I'm supposed to stay fat for her. Of course. Then I watched the Heckler movie. I was up till six in the morning going, you are not going to bed with self-doubt because of this fucking cunt. <laughs> and I watched that Heckler movie. I said, I'm going to watch that every day till I'm not hurt by that and till I can just wish her nothing but the best. And by day one, like the next day after the rehearsal, I go, I wish her love and light. It doesn't matter. She's... She's suffering more than I am. But you, do you get that? Because I get that, which is that the comment on social media, like, I liked you better when you were fat. Oh, totally. And I go, because you want me to stay sick like you are. Right, exactly. I mean, I literally, well, I'm lucky enough that people say it to me in person, like at the shows, like once in a while. Right. And I go, oh, oh, so, so I should stay sick for you? I go, okay. I go, well, I'm not having a heart attack, but you can because you're fat and horrible. Right. Like, then I'll have to turn into like, you know? <laughs> like You like the old me because you're still the old you. Oh, yeah. That's you'll it. never change, but that's okay. I get it, pal. You, you know, when you want to change, let me know. Yeah, that's so interesting. It's crazy. And so, and then you're working and you're doing stand-up. And what is the huge turning point? Is it Stern? It's obviously the oh, roast first. Yeah, I think it, everything kind of converged. Once I did the roast, the Chevy Chase one, I always said I'm going to wait to do Howard Stern or to even pursue it until... I have something to really talk about. I'm not just going on as a comic. Right. So I go, ooh, that Chevy Chase wrote some behind the scenes shit and like the jokes they didn't put on that they didn't air. I bet he'll get a kick out of that. And that's when they let me be on. And I think then it just all took off because once you do Stern, then, you know, like the other roasts start and then the Tonight Show started. And so it's just a lot of stuff that happened at the same time. But the big point where I went from clubs to theaters was the Pam Anderson roast because everyone watched that roast. That right. was the coolest. All the My manager always says, all the people watched the Jeff Foxworthy roast because she handles Jeff. She goes, all the cool people watched the Pam roast, like the people go to comedy. So what happened, end up with Pam, I show up at like the Sacramento Punchline, which is a great club, and they're like, we're sold out, like seven shows. I'm like, why? Who's here? And they're like, you are. And I'm like, so what? Like, I never sold out that number right. without killing myself on the radio. And they said, well, because of the Pam Anderson roast, can we add a third show Saturday and a second show Sunday? And I'm like, sure. The more money. Right. And I fucking go, you're kidding me. So this thing's taken on a life of its own since that Pam Anderson thing. And then, I, like I said, my height of ticket sales was probably like that seven years ago or so where it was like Radio City, Carnegie Hall within three months because there's so many tickets left on the table. Fuck, yeah, that's cool. So I just liked that it was, you can play all those iconic places that you always thought would make you happy. Of course it didn't. Right. Because I'm like, what about this? What about this? And the only thing I remember about both of those gigs is that my family was there. My mother stood up and she was like, I was fucking telling stories about her and she stood up like a celebrity in waves and dinner before with them and it's weird when you start noticing all your best memories have nothing to do with your career right nothing to do with your career it didn't matter dinner mattered that night it's pretty odd did you how was it standing on a stage like radio city as opposed to you know yuck yucks in calgary same yeah you just adapted a little bit you know the fact is i've been doing theaters for a long time by then 
So while it's bigger because it's 6,732 seats, right. I, I love how I have that memorized. But to me, a theater is like a club. You just like the first six rows. You see those people. Now that I lost the weight, I run around the whole place. I have stairs that go off. Like, I don't even care. Right. During the q and I'll just have people come up or whatever. And it's just more fun. And what about that sort of age-old edict? Like, did you have early on where they say you have to be willing to bomb to to grow as a oh, comedian? you have no choice. You have no choice. It happens. Yeah. It happened like my third time and I was horrified. But again, I was lucky at the time. I had a boyfriend who was a headliner um, and he just goes, you don't have to do this. I love when people go, you can quit anytime you want because then it's totally up to you. Right. And I remember my dad, my dad was a painter and... Uh, he would always say, just because you're good at it doesn't mean you have to do it. Right. I love that. Because it's like, yeah, why should I feel locked into something? Right. Or somebody else because I'm miserable. So that's why I love going, all right, if, the, if it gets too hard, it's fine with me quitting. I'll find what I'm supposed to do. Like right. journalism. So luckily, by the next day, I'd be like, okay, I think I can try this and make it better. But you do have to bomb. There's Nobody gets out of this without bombing. What's funny to you? What's funny to, what funny to you now? now? Yeah. I love Will and Grace. I love sitcoms with a studio audience. I'm not that keen on multi-cam. Is that multi-cam? Yeah, That's Will and Grace. That's all I know about TV. I love the ones where it's, uh, yeah, multi-cam. I, like, I love Modern Family. I love, like, um, I, I really like dramas more. Like, I love House of Cards. Oh, my God. I'm so glad it's coming back. I love... But no, Spacey. I know. Well, she's such... So fierce. That's why I got her hair cut. We're yeah. like twins. No big deal. I know. We're such twins. I, that's how delusional I am about my looks now. That I'm like, oh, my God. I have Robin Wright's haircut from season one. So, like, we look exactly alike. What if next season she had blue hair? Would you bug I mean, out? No, I'd be like, I'm such an influence on Robin. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it this whole time. Right? But guess what? I get really obsessed with one show, and I feel super sad when it ends. Like, right now, I'm totally mourning Mad Men, because I watched it just recently. I was late to the party, obviously. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so, I, miss, I miss them so much. I had to order a poster, and I had to order a mug, and I had to, like, I, I'm such a fag. I get so fucking obsessed with characters. Right. I'm like, Peggy Olsen's my friend now. Yeah, like, no big deal. I'm John Hamm. So, yeah, yeah, he, we're, we're pals. Yeah, But Ham what sandwich. makes me laugh is like, it's all like drama that I watch, but I do laugh. I never watch comedy. Stand-up seems like a homework. Right. Never watch stand-up. No ever. interest. Oh, except Sebastian. Yeah, you love him. Oh, I will watch him day and night, and I don't know why. Maybe it's because I know him a little. It just is so good. It's do you think it's because it's so different from what you do that it's, it's not? I think it's more similar to what I do in really? that it's so loud and Italian. Right. And I love how physical he is. I think he has such a gift that I can't argue with it. And you know what I fucking love is SNL the last few years. Really? Love it. There is not one person on that I'm like, you suck. Right. I can't wait. Me and Frank go back to my room. This is our big after party all the time after a show. We'll watch SNL. Or guess who still makes me laugh is King of Queens. Love King of Queens. Like, I will watch a sitcom with good characters any day. But yet I never even watched an episode of Community, New Girl. Like, all those, I, I know they're good. Right. But I go, I don't know. It's too... Not now. Right. It's, it's not right for me right now. It's a little too woke for me. It's a little okay, too... Yeah. 
on the nose. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, if I go back and I watch some good Golden Girls. Oh, my God. That, if somebody doesn't like them, they're dead to me. They're crazy. Yeah. yeah brilliantly funny. Genius. Everyone on that show, just home run hitters. Right. So good. And it's funny. My mother gets these weird channels, and she always has fucking church on when I come in. I'm like, please don't have church on. It's too loud. Please. But I can't. She puts on All in the Family one day. I was like, this is the best. I forgot how good All in the Family yeah, was. It's I've always loved it and said it. But when I still listen to the edgy lines, I go, man, this Norman Lear. Oy vey. So, yeah, I think it's more, I like old-fashioned a little bit. Like Jerry Stiller living in the house with kings, queens, and the wife. I don't know. It's just, like, worked for me. Have you gotten over, when you go back to your hotel on a road gig and you're in Sacramento or some other crowning jewel of, of this oh, country, yes. do you think about it, about what you just did? Do you lament about anything? Or are you so far past that? Are you well, able to leave it on the stage? The only thing I love is because Frankel hear new stuff I throw in and he'll be like, oh my God, where the fuck did that come from? I'm like, I don't know, dude, write that down. And I'll always be like, I always talk about the Q&A. Right. Because there's, lately there's been a lot of reinforcement that I'm getting through to people about weight. Way more fat people are coming to my show. It's pretty wild. Wow. And so many are like talking and about how me coming out about the weight loss surgery really changed them and they're going to get the surgery they're scheduled for next week or some people stand up and they go, I just lost 60 pounds after surgery or whatever. And they start crying and all this stuff. And I'm like, this is so, like that shit to me is cool. Right. And I love helping people like, cause I can yell them into submission. Like I made some guy come out of the closet because he was saying when he was bi. And I'm like, no, oh you're my not. God. And we went on stage and called his boyfriend. And I was like, yeah, he hasn't licked a snatch in like 25 years. He's gay. And he goes, yeah, he's gay. So the guy goes, I'll admit it. I was scared to come out. I was scared. I had to be half in, half out. I'm committing. I'm gay. It was so cute. If you're going to come out, you want to do it in front of the crowd yeah. at the Canyon yeah. Club in Agora exactly. Hills. Exactly. That's where it's safe. It's an environment of safety. Why not? I'm transformative. Come on. <laughs> but and that's the stuff that we talk about. Was it, and I always, I'm interested in this question. When you had the weight loss surgery and basically had your stomach sh- reduced shrunk, in reduced, size, yeah. Did was there, a, was there any morning once you, yes. you woke up, right? Oh, no. It was about three months ago. I will never eat a big meal again. Right. It just dawned on me. It takes, I'm a slow learner. But can't you cheat it a little bit after mm, a certain amount of years? Eat, you can eat bad food. Right. Which I've done. For the first three years, all I had was shitty food because I was like, yes, I won't <laughs> gain weight from shitty food. Then three years after that, that had to change to like, oh, protein, you know, very... You get hip to it. Yeah. And also you have no energy if you're eating the crap. Right. So I still have my treats, believe me, but it's 90% protein now. But just, I think it's because someone was talking about being out to dinner and I was sitting there and I was thinking to myself, I was at home and I was sad for some reason. I'm like, where did that come from? Why, why, why? I go, I'm not normal. I will never be able to eat a big steak and eat this... It's just impossible. Right. Mine doesn't stretch out a bit, which I'm grateful, thank God, because I could gain the weight back in a minute. I could do it now even if I, if I really hated myself, I could eat just ice cream. But isn't eating the best a- thing in the world that no one could ever top with anything? Yes. And then in the same breath, overrated. No. I think it is. No. I think you it's are bullshit. You are the devil. I know. No. It's because I... You're right for you. 
I don't know what it is, but again, it's like if you conquer drugs and alcohol and all this stuff, and then you conquer the spending and the sex and the self-obsession and all these things, it's like all these things that we thought we were entitled to. Yeah. It's like they're but mere distractions. And, oh, yeah. And and wonderful distractions at times. Like Seinfeld has that great bit about like life's long. It's not so short. Right. Like you take out the movies and the TV mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the ball games. It's like you got a lot of time on your hands. It's true. And you know what was funny? I didn't go through any addictions other than food men. And then at the end of, um, or what, now I'm still working on the food, uh, work. Right. And also shopping. Um can really, if you have money, it doesn't have any downside right. other than you're filling the hole and then you got to wake up yourself because it's not creditors coming after you. You're, you you got to seize it and go, um, I was sad, but I filled it with shopping. I better get a hold of that. You got to find a high-end consignment store to <laughs> sell all go, that sell shit. sell that shit. Dude, that <laughs> right. was fun. I love that. But yeah, it's, it's, but there's something about me and Frank always say, because he lost 105 pounds, we always go, there'll never be anything I like to do more than eat. Right. Dude, I would eat a hot fudge Sunday out of a donkey's asshole what's, if it was cold enough. What's the perfect meal, in or out of a donkey's asshole? Any fucking thing from a steakhouse. Yeah. You're talking about all of it, like the big Ruth Chris, excuse me, like a Morton's where you have the big T-bone steak, but the fatty one. I don't like this meat. I like this fat. And I like veiny. That sounds dirty. It's but, all right. But you know, marble. Let it happen. Really marble. Yeah. The wagyu. Like, yeah, the, 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 yeah, there you go. Yeah. The, the, the kind of, um, all the mashed potatoes and the onion rings. Any big steakhouse meal, that's, I'm all about a wedge salad first. Come on. I used to eat volume. I once was on a date with a guy years ago, and I wasn't even that fat yet. And he goes, boy, you can put it away. God bless. Because I just really could always eat volume. Did you immediately ask for a second date when he made that? Absolutely. <laughs> that wonderful like, comment. Man of my dreams. You get me. You get it, right? You complete me. Right. But yeah, now that I, it's so funny because like, now that I can't do that, I'm like, like last week, I remember Acropolo, it's all like super organic, healthy, amazing food. It's fucking delicious. Like I hate to admit it, but it is. I get hungry every three hours. I have to eat a small portion or I fucking feel terrible. So I had just eaten a fucking whatever protein bar I'm supposed to eat. And then two hours later is dinner. I'm not hungry yet. I said, I got to sit here now. I got to connect with these people because I want to. Coffee, have coffee, have iced tea, whatever. You have to accept that you can connect with people without food. Right. And I did it, and it wasn't that bad. I kind of felt like a baller. I was like, I'm showing off because I'm so skinny and you're not. (laughs) No big deal. (laughs) But isn't it funny, guys? Food will always be the number one celebratory thing for me. Right. And I'll always, I always say too, it's 80-20. 20% of the time I'll eat shit because, dude, if I go to your birthday party and I don't have cake, I'm the asshole. Right. Like, who the fuck can resist a piece of birthday cake? Oh, it's beautiful. Oh. Except, my, you know, my wife is vegan and gluten-free. Oh, Are you ready vey. for that? So oh, it's very... But the best is that we'll go somewhere and she mm-hmm. can't really eat, so she's like eating perfectly with yeah. a little spinach here, no dressing, please. Go. And then we get in the car and she goes, get me some McDonald's fries as quick Good. as you can. Good, and I'm I like, like I love I you. I knew I loved her because it's the best French fry that's ever existed. It's the best French fry, and it's oddly vegan and gluten free. Isn't she lucky? See, why not? Your wife first. She got you, then a fry. It's What's my pleasure. Good for her. <laughs> God bless her. Um, I love you. Oh my God, you're thank the you. Best. This is the best, dude. Let me tell you something. 
when we met at that drill bit tailor and I was throwing around Jew this and Jew that and <laughs> that didn't know the, the mic was on and the assistant director was like, they can hear everything you say. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm a comic. I love that 10 years later, you're still holding I'm on still, to that. I'm really sad. And I know that's why I'm not successful. No, Same I'm just here. kidding. <laughs> I just cracked up going, oh my God, I did not have any boundaries. How about on Joe Taylor? And I don't know if you knew this because I was 19 and sowing my wild oats right. that I came in late. I came to work late more than once because no. I was just a knucklehead and didn't realize the opportunity I had and that Judd Apatow was nice enough to bless me with this part. See? And I came in late a few times and I got a strongly worded email no. saying, get your shit together. This is unacceptable. And I, yeah. We and do those things though. We fuck up. I had to learn. And yep. to this day, and I remember when I saw Judd and I... I you know, did my best to make an amends, and, mm -hmm. and yet I still feel the need to say to every single person that worked on that film, like, if I can ever work for you for free for a day, wow. I'll, I'll run craft service, whatever you need. Like, yeah. I owe you all an amends because I was just being a knucklehead and not grateful. Well, think too, when you're 19, who thinks of these things? I had somebody up and quit a job with me over email which hurt me a lot because that was somebody I worked with for like five years sure. straight as an opening act and it hurt me so much. And I go, come on, Lisa, in your 20s, did you really not quit something the wrong way? Right. You know what I mean? So not even show up it. eventually. Oh my God, I had a job for one half a day and I didn't show up ever again. Yeah, God bless you. Because it's just like, oh my God, I can't stand in a mall and take surveys. Right. I just, this is not what my life's supposed to be. The last thing I'll say about, you know, it's so funny about the food thing because my mom who's, sort of sh struggled with food her whole life. Whenever I'm out of town, she cannot help herself but say, you go into the hotel, room service? And I go, Ma, I'm at a Marriott. Like, we're not talking about fine right. dining here. She's right. like, you could have an egg. <laughs> like, oh my God. Like, for her, it's like, you need something to reward yourself. I have to agree, because food is so celebratory. Like, I. Remember, my dad was so funny because he was not, he was the only skinny one in the family. Mm -hmm. And he had, I, I just crack up because we'd be like, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. He goes, have a piece of cheese, have a glass of milk. Like he really would eat anything. He didn't give a shit. Right. Me, it has to be the right popcorn and the right this and the right that. Oh, yeah. And I do love a room. I remember when I used to think that I needed to stay at the peninsula in Beverly Hills. Like, uh, God forbid there would be a better hotel. Like right. I used to get angry when I'd land at a, at a city and they'd go, oh, you staying at the whatever? Oh, this one, why don't they have you at this one? And I'd be like, how dare that booker not put me on the most high end? Like the ego was so involved. Sure. But when I felt I should always be at the peninsula and the fucking room service, they have room for service for your dog. They have a menu for your dog. Of course. It is the best hotel in the world. And I'm like, there's nothing like kicking back with that full table right there. Oh, it's beautiful. I know. Television in front of you. Tell your mom I'm on her side. You're just a king. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? It's learning. I, I laugh when they used to do that 101 bullshit philosophy of like, find something to replace food with, like a hot bath. Do I get to eat an ice cream sandwich in the bath? <laughs> right. Then I'll fucking get in.
Well, the best is when you, you put in your order and then they say for how many. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> God, I always go three. Of course. I used to always do that. Well, then they add more to the bread basket. Yeah. <laughs> so, duh. You know, See, we're not stupid. We're smart. I know what we're talking about. If we're about. meant to be fat again someday, I hope we do it together. I, please. Let's do it. <laughs> Party. Love you. You're the best. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you, Josh. Do you want to plug anything? I mean, nothing. Listen. I mean, uh, feel free. By the time this is out, I'll be taking a nice long break from stand-up. Perfect. Uh, but I am developing a workshop about food addiction called From Stuffed and Starving to Something Else, where we didn't really finish the title yet. But go to my it. website for everything. And oh, one thing you'll love is I will be doing some storytelling nights. So that'll be on my website too, which is insultcomic.com. So you get to laugh and feel. Please. Oh my God, let's just feel right why, now. Why not oh. us? <laughs> Should we end this on a namist? Please. Namist. Namist. <laughs> <laughs> That was Ms. Lampanelli, the greatest, my my spiritual guide, my guru. I just love her. She reminds me of my mom in the best ways. Go to her website, insultcomic.com, to find out all the news on her, performances, uh, books, performances. Uh, I already said that. I said that twice. But just everything good that's going on with Lisa is on that website, insultcomic.com. And... Uh, and yeah, this is it. We did it, guys. Another one. You finished the podcast. You finished another episode. Feel good about yourself because I'm proud of you. I am. You know what? If today you go to that job that you don't love, but you do it because, you know, we got to make money. We got to survive, right? Or you're in a relationship that maybe maybe you got one fit, foot in, one foot out, and it's not the thing for you. And and he or she doesn't appreciate you and sort of see your inner rock star. But, you know, it's nice to have someone warm to come home to at night. And they have these little, like, things about them that annoy you. They, like, you know, they cut their toenails on the couch in the living room. And you're like, who does that, you know? But you're not ready to leave yet. Just know that I love you. And I'm here. And I'm that partner that you're looking for, that 360 has you on every level, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, I'm here on my podcast. But nevertheless, I can, I can be that for you. I can be that all-around partner. And, you know, male, female, doesn't matter. You know, I have no preference. I just want you to be happy. I want you to be okay. This got weird. Anyway, guys, have a great week. I'll see you next week. I'm curious.